Oh boy. <clears throat> well, good morning, Mercy Hall. Um, my name is David Neese, and um, I'm a member here with Kate. That was my beautiful wife who was up here a minute ago. And um, So though I'm not a stranger to a lot of you, I am a stranger to the pulpit, and especially the scary side of it. Um, but I'm, nevertheless, I'm excited to be here before you guys this morning and, and uh, to open up the Word together. Um, if you were here last week, when Ian preached, then you have a pretty good idea of where the sermon's going. Um, so Steve asked us to fill in while he and Jan are gone several months ago, and we both said yes, and, but neither of us figured out um, until it was printed in the bulletin a few weeks ago that we were both preaching from the same book and the same chapter in passages that butt up to one another, um, and in fact even overlap a teeny tiny bit. Um, but God works this way, right? Um, and I think he has important truths for us to understand from Colossians 1. And I pray that he uses me this morning um, to help illuminate some of those truths. If you weren't here last week, then I guess you'll be on pins and needles just waiting for the ending. And um, So let's pray. Let's ask that God would actually come and help me. Father, we want you to be glorified in us this morning and in this room this morning. <coughs> And so I ask that you would work in me by your spirit to preach boldly, but um, to be completely dependent on you, Lord. And uh, I ask that the hearts of those sitting in this room would be prepared to hear your word and that we'd be changed by it. We're so thankful for your son, Jesus, in whom all your promises find their yes. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Uh, Bibles. Do we have Bibles that we need to be passed out? If you need a Bible, would you raise your hand and, and these men will bring one to you? So one of the passages, um, or one of the verses in Scripture that I love and that Christians really seem to like to quote goes something like, Be joyful always, pray continually, give hope or give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That's in 1 Thessalonians. That's not our passage. But I think one of the reasons we like that verse, or those verses, is because it just reminds us of what we're supposed to be like. We are to be people of joy, and to be people who are praying, and to be people who are thankful. However, this is, it's just not very easy to live that way, right? (laughs) It's tough to always be praying, and to always be thankful, and to always have joy. If we lived in a world without pain, without suffering and heartache and illness, and if we lived in a world where everyone thought just the way I do, then it would be pretty easy. But the fact of the matter is that we live in a painful, disease-ridden, antagonistic, thorn-producing world. And in light of that, um, how do we obey passages like, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances? Right? Right? Or how can we endure trials with thankfulness and joy? So in order to help us feel the weight of this before I dive into our passage, um, I've got five scenarios to help us feel how hard it can be to live that way. So number one, let's imagine um, your spouse is being unreasonable to the, point, to the point to where it feels like just totally overwhelming. And you're not sure how much longer you can stay in the marriage and you're beginning to feel like it's not worth it. In that scenario, how can you endure with thankfulness and joy? 
The second one, your children are rebelling and want nothing to do with you or your rules or with Jesus Christ himself. Right? And you're just beginning to feel totally overwhelmed and hopeless. In that situation, how in the world do you endure with thankfulness and joy? Third, <clears throat> a coworker has wronged you. Maybe they slandered you or they took your idea and passed it off as their own or they stole your deal. And you find yourself just looking for ways to get back at them, to slander them. How in that situation can you endure with thankfulness and joy? Number four, you're doing your best to share your faith with a buddy or a coworker, right? And they just mock you for your faith every time, right? They're sarcastic about you and about Jesus. And it's just hard. You don't even want to tell them anymore. Right? So how in that circumstance can you endure with thankfulness and joy? Last one, number five. An illness or maybe death threatens your life or a loved one, and, and the pain is just so exacting in the right spot, and you can't imagine why God would allow this to happen to your niece, to your mom, to your son. How can you, how can you endure with thankfulness and joy. So my hope today is that we look in, as we look in Colossians 1, 11 through 14, that we'll find these answers to these questions. My desire, however, is not just to discover the how we would endure, but also why we would even want to continue enduring in those times that are so difficult and so painful and so hard. So let's open up um, our Bibles to Colossians 1, and see what answers we can find. It's on page 983 in your pew Bible. So Colossians 1, verses 11 through 14. Actually, let me back it up while you're looking, if you're still looking. Let me give you a little bit of context. Paul, verses 1, 3 through 8, is telling why it is that he's thankful for the Colossian people while he's praying for them, why he's thankful for the Colossian church, okay, when he prays for them. So 1, 3 through 8, here's why I'm thankful for you when I pray. Beginning in verse 9, he actually starts his prayer. And then our passage this morning, 11 through 14, is the last half of his prayer. So, verse 11. Paul writes, May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So again, 11 and the beginning of 12, Paul says, May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. And I see a problem there. You know, who in their right mind, when they're going through times that require endurance and patience, do so with joy, giving thanks to the Father? I mean, when I'm going through a trial, I'm not sure my first thought is ever, oh, thank you, God. I'm so, I'm so happy for this pain that you're putting me through right now, that I'm experiencing? Or, Lord, thank you for, for this heartache. 
It's so good to me right now in my heart. Right? I mean, I'll speak for myself, but I'm pretty sure my typical initial response is something more along the lines of complaining. But here we have it. Paul is praying that the Colossians would have joy and be thankful to God during times that require endurance and trials, a.k.a. Excuse me. Times that require endurance and patience, a.k.a. trials. And I think Paul means it, and we need to know how do we can endure with joy and thanksgiving. So how? Paul says in verse 11, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. So we have all power for all endurance and patience because he strengthens us to work according to the measure of his glorious might, according to God's glorious might. This is how I can endure and have patience in the midst of trials. It's not by my own power that it happens. It's according to God's glorious might working within me. And tell me, when was last time God could not handle doing something? Right? So I've found several Old Testament passages that talk about God doing something according to his might, according to his own power. You don't, you don't expect you to turn there. I'm going to go quick. But I want to just give you several from the Psalms and see what God does according to his might. Psalm 65, 6. By his might, by God's might, he established the mountains. Psalm 66, 7. He rules by his might forever. Psalm 74, 13. He divided the sea for the Israelites by his might. Psalm 89, 10. He scatters enemies with a mighty arm. Psalm 93, 4. He is mightier than the waves of the seas. And then one in Isaiah. I, I have to read the whole thing. Isaiah forty twenty six. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. He keeps the stars in place according to his might. So consider this the next time you're, you're going through whatever, it's go, whatever it is that you go through that's terribly difficult and hard and you think you cannot possibly have joy or give thanks during the time, during the trial, you are saying in effect to God, I know you can keep the stars in place according to your might, but you cannot give me joy right now. That's what I'm saying when I, when I act that way, when I can't endure. You can So this is how I am able to endure in my walk of faith with joy and thanksgiving during difficult marriage circumstances or when I'm slandered at work or when I'm dealing with serious illness of a loved one. Because if it were poor me, if it were poor David Neese stuck in the middle of serious illness in my kids, I would not be patient. And if it were merely me with a coworker who has wronged me and I just have a perfect opportunity for revenge and slander in front of a supervisor, I would take it. And if it was by my own power that I were trying to hold what seems to be a shambles of a marriage together, it would all fall apart. But God, in his mercy, gives me the power to endure and to be thankful according to his glorious mountain-establishing, sea-splitting, 
star-holding might. It's not about me. It's not about my strength. It's not about my willpower. But it is about his power working in me that makes me patient and able to endure during difficult, real circumstances with joy and thanksgiving. So when I'm feeling like I can't go on, if I could not possibly endure the trial again, I plead with God for help and I say, God, I was not made to do this by myself and I need you to come right now and help me. I'm grieved, I'm dissatisfied, I'm angry, I've got heartache, and if you don't come right now and help me, I can't endure. And he will come and meet me and he will come and meet you. Now, I can imagine that um, some of us are saying to ourselves, okay, so I work with his power according to his might, and that's how I can give thanks and be joyful during trials, through him working in me. But what about when my heart doesn't feel like having joy? When it's bitter within me over my circumstances and the pain is just too much and too exacting to handle? Why would I even want to turn to God when it feels so good to stew? Right? My heart thinks it does feel good to stew. Let's reread 11 through 13. Paul writes, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So Paul in his prayer says that God has qualified believers to share in the inheritance with the saints in Jesus' kingdom. This is why I would even want to endure during trial because God has already qualified me for an inheritance in Jesus' kingdom. And this blew my mind as I was thinking about it when I was preparing. I share an inheritance with people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Joshua and David and Isaiah and John and Peter and Paul. I share in the inheritance that they get. Now, I need, I need your help a little bit here. Um, I, I want to make sure that I'm not overreaching Paul's argument and what Paul's saying. And so I want to draw your attention to what, what he immediately writes following with joy giving thanks to the Father at the beginning of verse 12. So he says at the end of 11, for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light? I think Paul is giving the inheritance as the reason for why we can have joy and thanks. But he doesn't use the word because here. Do you see it in your text? He just says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. It doesn't say because the Father has qualified you. But I think he's still using the inheritance as the reason for why we should endure. Does that make sense? I hope. I've got 
two other passages to take us to in Colossians that back up my reasoning for why I'm pretty sure he's meaning the inheritance is the reason for why we should endure. So let's go to the first one. Uh, Turn over a couple pages to chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. In In these verses, Paul is speaking to Christian slaves in Colossae, urging them to work heartily for the sake of the Lord. And let's see what his reason is for this exhortation. Chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. Paul writes, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So that's the first reason I think Paul means because in our passage. Explicitly here in verse in chapter 3, 23 and 24, the reason that the Colossian Christian slaves are to work as to the Lord is because they know they have an inheritance coming as a reward. Do you see it? It's explicit. But there's one more that I think is even stronger uh, reason for why he means because in our passage. Go back to chapter 1. verses 3 through 5. Do you remember at the beginning I said, nice, do you remember at the beginning I said um, verses 3 through 8 talk about, Paul mentions, um, this is why uh, I'm thankful when I pray for you. And then in verse 9, he actually starts his prayer and our verse is in the prayer, right? So verses 3 through 8 are actually prep for what's going on in verses 9 through 14, our passage, right? So let's read what he says in chapter three or chapter one, verses three through five. Paul writes, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. So did you see the reason for the Colossians' faith and their love for others? Paul says at the beginning of verse 5 that the reason that they have faith in Christ and love others is because of the hope that is laid up for them in heaven. This hope that is laid up in heaven is meant to drive my faith such that I trust Jesus more and love other people more. I think the, the chart's already up there. Do you see it? So, chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. I'm called, or Paul is thankful for their faith in Christ and their love for the saints because they have a hope laid up for them in heaven. In our passage, Paul's praying that they would endure with patience and joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in an inheritance coming in heaven. Does that make sense? So now I hope to make the clincher. We'll see. If 11, if 1, 3 through 8 talks about, I'll just read it. As verses 3 through 5 are prep for our passage in 11 through 14, explaining why he prays the way that he does, it makes sense then that his reason in verses 3 through 5 corresponds to what he says in 11 through 14, Right? So in verses 3 through 5, he says that the hope of something laid up for them in heaven compels them to act. 
So I argue that the inheritance coming in the kingdom of his beloved son in heaven compels them to act in enduring trials with joy and thanksgiving. Do you see it? So those are the reasons why. We see it elsewhere explicitly in Colossians twice, in 3.23 through 24, and then in 1.3 through 5, and since 1.3 through 5 is praying the way, I think we got it. All right, so let me give an analogy. Let's imagine there's this king of just immense wealth, unfathomable wealth. And imagine that you are a servant of the king and that he sends you out on foot on just a long, painful, risky mission. And you're gone for two months in enemy territory and you return just absolutely physically and mentally exhausted and you've barely eaten anything during this journey. And when you return, you are called in to see the king and to give a full report and you tell him everything you know and everything you found out. And when you're finished, the king is pleased and he commands other servants. He says, go prepare a feast, go uh, draw a bath, go get quarters ready for him for the evening and you enjoy all those things. And then in the morning, you wake up and you're called before the king again. And the king says, I need you to go back out again. And this time it might be a little longer and even more risky and more painful as the enemy's position has shifted and they fortified those areas. But it is crucial that you go today. And you think to yourself, how in the world am I going to go out again today when I'm already wiped out and physically spent because I'm not sure that I can make it? And then right after that, you think, and why would I even want to go back out? Even if I live and the chances are slim, I don't see the benefit in going back out there. Can you see why you'd wonder that? Let me add one more part. You, the king's servant, are trying to decide if you're going to go out again. And you know that this mighty king of great wealth has said that he'll give you all the power that you could possibly need. But why would you go? And then suppose at the end he says, and I've got a fantastic inheritance waiting for you in my kingdom. And in fact, I've already qualified you for it. According to my own good pleasure, And this inheritance will never leave you wanting for anything. And then he tags on at the end, and I guarantee that you will return to enjoy it. It's yours. I've qualified you for it. It's immense beyond anything you could ever imagine, and it'll never run out, and you will come back for it. And you just stop. You laugh to yourself because you understand the promises that have been made. You've got unmatched strength going with you and unmatched reward when you come home. And I will come home. So now I'm you or I'm me and I'm thinking, okay, so he's promised me something. He says it's pretty sweet. But I've got another question. I really, really want to know, before I go, what exactly is my inheritance, O king? Right? This is the crux. What is this inheritance? Paul obviously expects the inheritance to be, to be amazing concerning the effect that it should have on my life now. 
It needs to make whatever endurance needing and patience requiring trial that I'm going through on earth look puny in comparison. It must be great enough to encourage James to say, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Or for Paul to say, whatever gain I had, I count as loss. Or for Jesus to call those who are reviled and persecuted for trusting in him to rejoice and be glad. What is the reward that makes all trials in this world tiny in comparison? The reward is Jesus Christ himself in all of his glory, unmasked face to face forever. If you were here last week, Ian did a pretty good job. Right? And we could go to Ian's passage and see that Jesus makes all things, sustains all things, and he does it. It was done by him, for him, and through him, and he redeems all things to himself. That's a pretty glorious God. But I've got one more passage I want to show you too that shows that the goodness of knowing Jesus makes any reward or treasure that we could have now seem paltry and any pain or heartache seem puny. Uh, I think there's another slide here. You don't have to go there. It's on the board. So Paul makes it clear everywhere and Jesus makes it clear everywhere that he's the reward. But I, I just... I think this one's the clearest, though it's not in our text. Paul writes in Philippians 3, 7 through 8, But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Jesus Christ is the reward that makes all other rewards seem like rubbish. And all other pain and heartache and everything else we could go through seem puny in comparison. Before we get to the application, I need to make two notes. Number one, I am not in any way trying to minimize the pain and reality of the difficult life circumstances that at times can seem unbearable. But what I am doing, what I'm seeking to do, is to maximize the greatness of the inheritance that we have in beholding God in the face of Jesus for forever. Our struggles and our pains are great, but Jesus is infinitely greater, and his glory will shine brightly forever. So again, I'm not minimizing the pain, but merely trying to accurately portray as best as I can the greatness of Jesus. And a second note. We need to note that the inheritance does not depend on me as though I have earned it. God qualifies me for the inheritance. Certainly it's my job to walk in faith trusting Jesus, treasuring Jesus, but even my faith is a blood-bought, merciful gift. I did not qualify myself, and you did not qualify yourself. God did. So the second note, don't think you've earned the inheritance. God has qualified you. He's qualified me. So application. 
Let's, let's feel the weight of the glory of the inheritance that we have coming. I've picked two passages that help me. They're ones that I love in desiring and cherishing Jesus' glory above all other things. And my hope is that, is that these will also stir in your heart a desire to see Jesus that way and to know him that way. First, uh, let's head to Revelation chapter 21, verses 22 through 25. It's on page 1041 in your pew Bible. Page 1041. In this passage, John is having a revelation of the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, and he is describing it here for the reader. So let's pick up in verse 22. John writes, as he watches the new Jerusalem come down, he says, And I saw no temple in the city, For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. Do you see this? There is no need for sun or moon to shine in heaven because Jesus himself will be shining so brightly that the sun and moon will become become completely unnecessary. This is a glorious inheritance that makes any earthly inheritance seem trifling. This is an inheritance that I want, one that makes the sun void, null, unnecessary. One more. John 6.35. It's on page 892. John here Jesus is in dialogue with a crowd that just the day before he had fed miraculously with five loaves and two fish and then he asks and then they asked Jesus for another sign to show them who he is and they asked for the bread that Jesus describes as giving life to the world and in John 6:35 Jesus replies I am the bread of life whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is a glorious inheritance, one that can satisfy forever. Jesus says, I satisfy forever like nothing else ever could. And this is strange to us and foreign to us because everything we know dies, rots, decays, rusts, ends. But Jesus will satisfy forever and he will shine brightly for forever. This is an inheritance to cherish, and it's one that can motivate me to have joy and thanksgiving in the midst of demanding and hard-to-live-with spouse and with children who despise me and despise Jesus and with a co-worker 
who slanders me and takes my ideas and with friends who mock me and mock my Savior when I try to tell them about Jesus and when I'm dealing with illness and pain and heartache. This is an inheritance that can motivate me to endure during those difficult times with joy and thanksgiving, hard though they are. It's an inheritance that can motivate us to do as our king asks us to do, though the request seems too difficult. So my hope today, Mercy Hill, is that we will ponder these passages and pray for a heart to see Jesus as a greater, satisfying, glory-shining inheritance because seeing him this way enables us to endure with joy and patience. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for what we see in Colossians and what we see in Revelation and in John and what we saw in the Psalms and Isaiah, Father. We ask that your word would be working in our hearts today to see your son as the glorious, all-satisfying inheritance that we have coming that can motivate us to endure with joy and thanksgiving, Lord, though it's hard. So work in our hearts today to come before you and plead for help because we need you to be able to do this. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.